Well, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you will know that we've been working our way through a short series in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And today we bring that series to a conclusion as we consider the Holy Spirit in Christmas. Now I realize that this message might be better suited for five weeks' time uh, when we actually remember the the Lord's birth on on Christmas Day. Uh, But the world around us has already started gearing up commercially for the Christmas season. Uh, The decorations are up in the malls, uh, the fairy lights are flashing, the marketing hype to spend all your money on Christmas uh, presents has already begun. And so it's, it's appropriate to, to end our series on the, the Holy Spirit today with a reminder of the true significance of Christmas as we head towards the end of the year. And especially today for us to consider as part of our series the work of the Holy Spirit in the virgin conception of Jesus Christ, which really is one of the most important doctrines that we must believe in order to be saved. If you were to be surveyed today and asked the following question, what would your answer be? Here's the question. Is it absolutely necessary to believe that Jesus was miraculously conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit? Is it absolutely essential to believe that? What would your answer be? Well, the sad reality is that An increasing number of people who call themselves Christians either don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus or at least don't believe that it is essential to the Christian gospel. For example, in 2016, American megachurch pastor Andy Stanley said this in one of his sermons. If someone can predict their own death and resurrection, I'm not all that concerned about how they got into the world. How would you respond to that? Does the virgin birth of Jesus really matter? Or is it one of those things that um, I'm not all that concerned about? Well, Al Mohler, the president of the Southern Baptist Seminary in the United States, he responded to Stanley by saying this, The Bible insists it really does matter. And the answer given from Scripture very clearly in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus was born to a virgin. The correct, most specific theological language here is the virgin conception of Christ, often referred to more generally as the virgin birth of Christ. This refers to the fact that Jesus had a human mother, but he did not have a human father. The great question of liberal theology has been to invent a Jesus who was stripped of all supernatural power, deity, status, and authority. And in order to do that, they, that is these liberal theologians, begin by denying what the Bible so clearly teaches in terms of the virgin birth. If Jesus was not born of the virgin, then the Bible cannot be trusted when it comes to telling us the story of Jesus. And that mistrust cannot be limited to how he came to us in terms of the incarnation. The fact is that biblical Christianity and ultimately the gospel of Christ cannot survive the denial of the virgin birth. Because without the virgin birth, you end up with a very different Jesus than the fully human, fully divine Savior revealed in Scripture. 
So what I want us to see this morning is that if we don't believe in the supernatural conception of Jesus Christ in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the working of the Holy Spirit, then in reality we believe in another Jesus, we believe in another gospel, and Paul is very clear that then that is no gospel at all and we all are accursed. So this is a crucial doctrine that we must make sure that we know and believe as we were singing about earlier. That we delight in this and so we want to come to God's word today to make sure that we understand what God's word teaches on this crucial subject. Now there are two passages in the New Testament which explain to us what took place in the incarnation, in the birth of Jesus Christ. The first passage is in Matthew's gospel and tells us the story from Joseph's perspective. And then the second is in the gospel of Luke and it tells us the story from Mary's perspective. And so together we get a clear picture of what we are going to be considering this morning. And so in the first place then, I want us to consider the absolute necessity of the virgin birth. But let's come to God's word and let's read together Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 to 25 and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, this is a, a fairly well-known passage to most of us, but perhaps it's Familiarity is part of the problem, for we can so easily get, get caught up in the, the drama of the historical nar narrative that we miss out on the theological crux of what Matthew has recorded for us here. Although the Holy Spirit is already mentioned twice in this section, we will turn to the other passage in Luke's Gospel in a few minutes to look at that in a little bit more detail. But what I want us to see here from Matthew's account is the absolute necessity of the virgin conception and birth of Jesus Christ. And we are given two reasons here from Matthew. Number one, because of who the Messiah had to be. And number two, because of what the Messiah had to do. Now let's start in verse 23. And we see that Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 as he explains who the Messiah had to be. 
Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In other words, the Messiah, Jesus, to be born to Mary, had to be a man. He had to be the son of a woman, while at the same time he had to be God, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, this is crucial for us to understand the the Old Testament context of this announcement to Joseph regarding the baby that was to be born to Mary. The, the baby inside Mary's womb was in one sense going to be a normal human baby, born as a son to Mary. But he was in another sense not normal at all, for he will not have an earthly biological father. He will be conceived of by the Holy Spirit of God so that he will be called what? Emmanuel, God with us. One person, fully human on the one hand and yet fully God on the other hand, in order to fulfill what God had prophesied in the Old Testament regarding the Messiah. Now this concept of the Messiah being both God and man is not limited to this quotation in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. For there are numerous other Old Testament passages which prepared the way for this reality. Right back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, after Adam and Eve had fallen into sin, God promises that the seed of the woman, a child of the woman, will come forth to do what? To strike or to crush the head of Satan. And so we know from this verse that the Old Testament expectation of a child, the, the Messiah, begins to grow. And then in Micah chapter 5, another wonderful prophecy looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, we read this amazing verse in, in Micah 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now, Notice what's going on here in Micah. He has a prophecy about a future ruler to be born in Bethlehem, and yet the one who will come out of Bethlehem is one who pre-existed before his birth in, in Bethlehem. He's from ancient days. His coming forth is from old, although his birth in Bethlehem is in the future. What about Isaiah chapter 9, which brings together the fact that God's coming Messiah would be both God and man. Isaiah 9 verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. There's the human side of this child that would be born. But listen to what Isaiah says. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name... This child's name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Now, when we consider these passages... Two seemingly impossible realities 
come to the surface. On the one hand, we see that the Messiah who is to come will be the son of a human mother. He will be a human child born to a mother. And yet, at the same time, in no uncertain terms, we are told that he will be God with us. Emmanuel, he would have existed before his birth. The one who will rule and reign over the throne of David and over his kingdom forever. Two seemingly impossible realities brought together in the virgin conception of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. So that's the, the first reason for the absolute necessity of the virgin conception because of who the Old Testament reveals the Messiah had to be, both man and God. But there's another reason why the virgin conception is absolutely necessary and that is because of what the Messiah had to do. And we see this in our text in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now again, we can become so familiar with this idea of Jesus being our Savior and saving us from our sins that we miss the significance of this statement. For this statement is not made in a vacuum. It's made by the angel of the Lord against the backdrop of the whole Old Testament. In which it was clear and absolutely necessary that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Any Jewish person who knew anything of the scriptures understood that. And so while the Jews of the day were, were anticipating a religious Messiah, a political Messiah, a military Messiah who would deliver them from Roman oppression and rule and, and would reestablish them in their land, God's word had been preparing his people for something very different. God had been preparing his people for a spiritual Messiah, a spiritual Savior and Redeemer, a Messiah who would save his people from their sins. And this too should have been familiar to them as they considered the prophecy of Isaiah, the same prophecy we've already quoted twice today about the Messiah being born to a virgin, about the Messiah being both God and man. Because as we come to Isaiah chapter 53, we read this regarding the Messiah. He was despised. And rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
God had gone to great detail throughout the Old Testament sacrificial system to explain that the only way for our sins to be removed is through the the substitutionary sacrifice of a spotless lamb. But at the same time, God was showing his people again and again and again that the blood of animals could never atone for the sins of human beings. All of that was just a shadow. It was just a picture pointing us forward, preparing us for what Isaiah 53 reveals so clearly, the coming of the Messiah, the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The one upon whom God would lay our iniquity upon himself and he would suffer and die. He would be stricken by God, smitten and afflicted in order to purchase our salvation. And so implicit in the Messiah then being able to take away the sins of another person meant in reality then that that Messiah had to be sinless himself. For if he was not sinless, if he was just a a normal human being, he would have to die for his own sins. And so therefore, in order to be perfect, in order to be sinless, in order to be the spotless Lamb of God, he had to be born of the Virgin. He had to be born of God. But similarly, in order for him to take upon Himself, not just the sins of one other person, but the sins of the world, the sins of all those who put their faith in him. He could not simply just be a perfect human being. He had to be an infinitely perfect human being. He had to be God himself in order to procure the salvation of many. And so once again, this impossible dilemma is solved only through the virgin conception. For the Messiah to be the perfect man without sin and at the same time to be fully God in order to save his people from their sins. So just before we move on to to see the role of the Holy Spirit in this virgin birth. I hope you can see why the doctrine of the virgin conception of Jesus Christ is absolutely crucial to the gospel. It's crucial to our salvation. If Jesus was simply a human child like any other, born through the decision of a husband's will, even if he was the finest human specimen the world had ever known, great intellect, character, strength, he would still be a sinner in need of saving grace himself. And if Jesus was not a human being, but rather just a divine being, he would not have been able to die as a substitute for sinners. For God's justice demands that the wages of our sin is death. Now, The only way possible for God to remain fully holy and just, while at the same time saving sinners, was for the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, to become a human being, to take on our humanity, yet without sin, in order to become the Savior of God's people. So then, with that in mind, I want us to see in the second place this morning from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 1, 
the Holy Spirit's activity in the virgin birth. So let's turn to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 26. And I'm reading again from the English Standard Bible. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Here in this account, we see the person of the Holy Spirit integrally involved in the plan of God to save sinners. By being the one who does the impossible. By being the person who, who makes the impossible possible. For as the angel said in verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary, this young teenage girl, and tells her that she will give birth to a son. And his name will be Jesus, which means Jehovah or Yahweh saves. And he will be great. It's the, the word mega. He'll be, he'll be mega great. A title reserved for God when used on its own. And he will be called the son of the most high God. And he will rule on David's throne forever. What an incredible message for, for Mary to absorb. Even for us with, with all our knowledge of the scriptures as we have it today. But can you imagine that message coming to a young teenage Jewish girl in Nazareth? And Although she was engaged to a young man. They had not been together and, and surely all the things that the angels said, even if she was married, surely none of those things could be true of, of a child born to a, a human husband and wife. The things said about this child are just too great for, for any human couple to comprehend. And so she asks in verse, in verse 34, how can this be? And Gabriel responds in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will Come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And here we see the, the intimate working of the Holy Spirit in this 
most awesome act of power and love and grace and mercy ever shown to mankind, which is that the Son of God gave up the glories of heaven and took on humanity by being conceived in the womb of a young virgin girl. And while the details of this will always remain to us a mystery, we see the Holy Spirit here. The sovereign creator who hovered over the earth and initiated that initial work of creating the universe. The same spirit who we looked at previously continues to do this a miracle of the new birth in the hearts of sinners today. We see the Holy Spirit who makes the impossible possible by bringing together divinity and humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. The language used here in verse 35 is that Old Testament language of the Shekinah glory of God which descended on the Holy of Holies in the temple. And we are told that the presence of God the Holy Spirit would overshadow Mary, would surround her, would, would rest upon her and the Holy Spirit of God would unite the very Son of God to the humanity of Mary through the virgin conception. Luke is very clear. He's a medical doctor, remember. He certainly understood the biology of conception. He quotes the angel to explain that this activity of the Holy Spirit would produce a child who is unlike any other this world has ever known or will ever know. Look at verse 35. Therefore, therefore, the child to be born will be called holy the Son of God. In other words, because of the supernatural activity of the Holy Spirit over Mary, the child to be born would be totally other, holy, the very Son of God. And here we see how the second point ties up with the first point. For Jesus to be who we need him to be. And for Jesus to do what God purposed for him to do in saving sinners, he needed to be both perfectly human while at the same time perfectly God. So just as we considered previously in the, the Holy Spirit's integral role uh, in our own salvation, in the work of the new birth, so we see today his integral role in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. To be exactly the Savior whom the Old Testament predicted and prophesied and promised. And to be exactly the Savior that you and I need today. So as we come to, to think about the, the birth of Jesus Christ again this Christmas season. I hope you've seen that, that there is so much more going on than just the historical event of the birth of a special person. Now, what we are celebrating with Christians all over the world is this great unfolding plan of God's salvation of sinners. A plan which involved the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A plan which started before the creation of the world, which came to its pinnacle in the birth and the life and death and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and a plan which continues to be applied to each one of us in time by the sovereign activity of the Holy Spirit.
And say, if you are a believer today, your salvation, my salvation is the fulfillment of God's plan to do the impossible. To do what you and I could never, ever have accomplished on our own. And the Holy Spirit makes it all possible through the virgin conception of Jesus Christ. But if you're not yet a believer, I want to encourage you today that God is still ready to do the impossible in your life. He is ready to save you from an eternity of condemnation. He's ready to make your dead soul alive. He's ready to give you a new heart. He's ready to reveal Jesus Christ to you and His work on the cross on your behalf. And He's ready to convict you of your sin, to draw you to repentance, and to give you the faith that you need in the the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be your Savior. And He's ready to give you eternal life. God has always been the God of the impossible. And Christmas reminds us of that in a most powerful way. Let's not sentimentalize Christmas. Let's not get so caught up with the the nativity scene and and the manger and the the, the wise men and the gifts. These are all part and parcel of, of what went on on that day. But let us remember that what we celebrate at Christmas is that we are coming to worship the God of the impossible. So we consider the fact that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, conceived of by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, the one who lived a perfect sinless life and then died on a cross in our place, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Has the Holy Spirit, who overshadowed Mary 2,000 years ago to bring about the birth of Jesus Christ into the world, has He come to you yet? Has He come to bring faith in Jesus Christ to you as your Savior? If not, can I plead with you to cry out to God today? Don't wait for Christmas. Don't wait for a crossroads in your life or some trauma or, or some event to, to bring you to that place of desperation. Cry out while it is still today for God to reveal Jesus Christ to you. To reveal Him to your soul through the power of the Holy Spirit. What I'm asking you to do today is impossible for an unbeliever to do. You might say to me, well, Clinton, how can you ask me to do something which is impossible? Well, I can ask you to do it because we have a God who does the impossible. And He says, cry out, cry out. And He will hear and He will forgive and He will save. See, unless the God-man, Jesus, is your Savior, then you are still dead in your sins. Unless the Holy Spirit makes you alive in Christ, you are still blind to your lostness and the eternity of condemnation that awaits you. So let us never find ourselves accursed because we reject 
what God's word teaches us about the virgin conception. But equally so, let us never find ourselves eternally condemned because we rejected this plea of God, this cry of Jesus Christ to come to him, all who are heavy and and burdened, and he will give us rest. It's offered freely to you in the gospel today. Do not harden your hearts while it is still called today, but run to Christ and he will save you. Let's pray together. Hi, Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we marvel at what we have been thinking about today. As we scratch just a little bit below the surface of these accounts of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ to see what you put in place in order to save us. Lord, as we think about our own sinfulness, as we think about our own rebellion and blindness towards you, it, it marvel, it's a marvel to us that, that you did not leave us in our sinfulness, that you did not leave us in our rebellion and simply condemn us to an eternity under your judgment. That you purposed to save a people for yourself. But Lord, as we consider today the great lengths that you went to in order to bring about this plan of salvation, who can grasp the depths of your love? That your only begotten Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was conceived of as a human being in the in the womb of Mary, as he took on humanity, he who existed from before time began, he who created all things by the the word of his mouth to take on humanity in the womb of a teenage girl in order to be born as a baby, in order to live the life of perfect righteousness that none of us could ever even hope to achieve and then to take upon himself our iniquity and transgressions and guilt And to die the death that we deserve to die. Oh Lord God forgive us for so easily having trivialized the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we head into this Christmas season. As we have our carol service in a couple weeks time. As we come together on Christmas day to focus again on, on what you have done for us. Oh Lord God we pray that we would grasp a fresh with a whole new understanding, your love for us and what it cost you and the length that you went to to bring about our salvation. Lord, how can anyone look at this and reject the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ? It makes no sense to us except that we understand that we rejected you for so long until you made us alive. And so we want to pray that for each person listening to this message today who has not yet accepted this free offer of salvation in Jesus Christ, that you would be pleased to cause your Holy Spirit to lift that veil of darkness from their faces, to remove this heart of stone which is in rebellion against you, that you would give them a heart of flesh, that you would convict them of their sin, draw them to repentance and grant them the gift of faith. And Lord, we would promise to give you all the praise and the glory as people come to Christ for salvation, 
that no human being, no preacher, no church would claim that as our doing, but we would point everyone to you. You deserve all the glory. This is all a work of your grace. We pray that you would be honored through the lives lived as we seek to to worship you with all of our lives, as we seek to be faithful, committed, obedient servants of the Most High God, as we seek to live out our lives of gratitude for all that you have done for us. We, we pray that you would be pleased uh, to do this work in our midst today, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's close our service today by worshipping God for Jesus, for sending him into our world through this mighty working of the Holy Spirit in the virgin birth in order that Jesus, the Son of God, might become the Savior of the world. May the Lord bless you as you sing this closing hymn, as we prepare our, our hearts and our thinking at this Christmas season. Uh, that God would be glorified uh, as we point others to this Jesus, both through our lives and through our words. May God bless you in this week ahead. Amen.